0: Hello and welcome to the Kerning the Gap podcast. Uh, my name is Natalie Mayer, I'm the founder of Kerning the Gap and I'm delighted to be joined today by Sally Henderson. Great to be here. Sally is a talent and career mentor with 25 years of experience across leadership development, career growth and coaching and has worked with the likes of Borfolins, uh, Interbrand, Imagination, the Design Council, the list is almost endless. Uh, and Sally and I were introduced to one another through the DBA, back in my DBA days, and I'm delighted to have reconnected her over all things Curling the Gap, and given Sally's experience, um, was, again, a natural a natural guest for us to have um, on podcast, and it was exciting you telling me this is her first event. Yes,
1: I'm delighted to be here, so thank you. How
0: are you feeling about it, Sally?
1: Excited. Excellent. Very excited.
0: Excellent. So... Um, Talent and career mentor, how did you become one of
1: those? Yes, um, indeed, what is one of those? Yeah, quite. Um, so it all started way back in the, the heavy days of leaving university and not knowing what to do, which I think most people do. Yeah, I think we
0: can all empathise with that.
1: And um, found myself falling into recruitment, which I've always had a love-hate with, mm-hmm. um, because I didn't go into my degree to be in recruitment, goddammit. But recruitment was amazing because it gave me a vehicle to coach and mentor and facilitate change. And that's what I love. I love helping people and businesses to reach potential. It's a cliche, but it's great when it happens. And I have a passionate, fundamental belief that you have a right to be happy and effective at work. What a radical idea, Sally. I know, God damn it. Um, But why would you choose otherwise? And actually, with the right intervention, and not always a lot of work or time, you can just refocus your lens, and wow, your motivation goes up through the roof, you are seeing the world in a different way, and you can be happy and effective. It doesn't always need radical change. No. So my years now, 20-plus-something years, um, coming through the recruitment ranks, going into executive search, mm. working at a very, very senior level, I kept seeing the same mistakes happening over and over again, and I had this sometimes annoying need in myself to keep growing and learning and adding the best value that I can mm. to the creative industry, because I love the creative industry, and I thought, okay, I have to be brave myself, mm. walk the walk that I teach other people, and go after my passion so I am fulfilled and happy, and I get that through advising businesses how to get the best results through talent mm. and how to spot the simple wins that they're missing and working with individuals, and especially women, on how they can reach potential in career, mm. where it doesn't mean compromising on something else and it doesn't mean trying to be in someone else's shadow of what success means. Mm. And you do it on your terms, in your way, and everyone's a winner.
0: I'm really interested in that. Well, the whole objective of, Closing the gap is to see more women in leadership positions because we know that the numbers and stats are are woeful. Yes. In they're they're woeful across business as a whole, but they are really poor in the design industry. Given your knowledge of our industry in particular, why do you think that is?
1: I think the industry has got a case of head in the sand, Mm. and that there's an accepted view out there that, okay, well, women are great to a certain level, and then they have babies. And that means Yeah, that means that any woman that wants to go down the child route, how can how can it work? And actually the industry I think is a bit archaic around working practices. I yeah. mean look at the look at the technology we have now. There is no reason why flexible working cannot be an asset to a business if it's handled in the right way. And that's for everyone, not just parents. You know, it's it's not about being discriminatory against people who aren't parents yeah. at the same time. But for women, they aren't there aren't as many of them. Because our industry isn't adapting, isn't being flexible, isn't being future-focused, women are rightly, I think, saying, OK, I've got a choice here. I'm working out the numbers. It's going to cost me more to come to work by the time I've done childcare than the stress of even getting to work on these rigid hours, long hours. I'm a bright, intelligent person with multi-skills. I can choose something different. So if the industry isn't looking to embrace and accommodate that talent that does go down the family path, by nature there are less women than in a numbers case. There's just Mm -hmm. less of Mm us. And then I think there's other challenges that we are quite a male-led industry, so therefore people are leading in their own image. Mm -hmm. A lot of the established independents are what I would call quite familial. It's about a patriarch. It's about um, very fixed ways of leadership and roles that don't perhaps welcome new leaders, be they male or female. Mm -hmm. There's too much fixed um, views on what leadership looks like and people aren't adapting and evolving or if they're a large network for example often it's well how do you find a senior role that's rewarding Mm. that allows you to be your whole real self Mm. because the big networks just aren't geared up for flexibility and that's a shame because they're missing out on a trick.
0: It's interesting I wrote a piece on International Women's Day for Design Week Uh, they did the Standard box pop. You know what are the challenges that women are up against in our industry? You've got a hundred words. Of which one? Which one of the many challenges do I choose? But the one I I picked out was that the lack of women in leadership is precipitating a lack of women in leadership. Yes. Because you need to change those dynamics at the top because of this bias towards recruiting in our old image or or having very fixed views on how on on how. the the agency model needs to work and it's not compatible with people who have families.
1: Yeah. And also I think there's a lack of understanding around what senior career growth looks like, be it family or not family. Agencies are not investing in looking at effective succession planning. And also we are hemorrhaging talent now to other disciplines. That's, That's interesting. That's a very key point. In the old days, if I can say that, I used to be so clear when I was recruiting, you are either advertising integrated, events, uh, design, branding, innovation, and, and um, perhaps experiential or other things that started to come up through the ranks. But you were very distinct. Yeah. An events person was not a branding person. An advertising person could not come into design. A design person could not go into advertising. It's so um, fixed in disciplines right. and where you could go. It's not the case now. You know, you have a, lot, a great creative talent, be they strategic, creative, suit, whatever that talent might be. They have such a lot of choice. So we need to be competitive as an industry. Mm. So we're attracting and retaining top talent, female and male, to want to choose the design industry. And I think there's an opportunity to raise the profile of design. I have such an affinity and love for the passion of design and the authenticity of design. That I think other disciplines can't quite get hold of, you know. I think we do have a top spot on that, but we're not promoting it effectively. No. Do you think that
0: innate humility, which is what I've always loved about the design industry, and it's why we don't ask for more money as mm-hmm. uh, to our clients, that's why we don't push back harder. There is a there's an innate sensibility that's very humble.
1: Very craft.
0: It's very, very craft, craft, and it's and it's still rooted in that. Do you think that women operating in that environment, it's compounded the, the kind of the push and the negotiation and the, the sense of, yeah, asking and wanting more.
1: Yes, because also if we are going to be challenging, um, even the men aren't doing it, are they? Yeah. So where are the role models, male or female, about raising the profile? And obviously it is happening in pockets. I'm not saying yeah. it's not happening. But I think as a movement, as a real collaborative effort for raising the profile of design and brand and the place that has at the client table, that place that has at the top of the budget, yeah. owning the relationship, owning the strategic direction. You know, it's the heartbeat. I used to talk about it being the heartbeat when I was mm. recruiting. So let's champion it, champion it more and let's see more role models, male and female, taking that lead.
0: I think that's really fair. I think there's a lot that we need to do to get in the game as an industry, full stop. Is there something about, actually, outdated leadership models? I mean, what do we, actually, let's stop there. What do we mean when we talk about a leadership role? What do you define that as?
1: Very good question. I think a leadership role, to me, is any role that's driving change, and driving direction, and is accountable for impact. Mm. Because by nature, you need to be leading somewhere, something, to some outcome. But, as an industry, and this is across the whole creative industry, we are shockingly bad at not defining what that actually means and what does that mean for a wPP global role versus an independent succession planning role they 're fundamentally going to be different, although they are delivering a similar thing. you know you, a leadership style or model of a role that works in a wPP global would not work in an independent yeah. local business or um, where you've got the founders still very involved because it's going to be different needs so I think agencies have an opportunity to just, I have an expression I use call being brave to pause and just stop being in habit stop being scared of the client money drying up it's part of the love but seriously let's accept it's part of life yeah. and let's just factor that into our planning and define for your agency what lead, what great leadership looks like yeah. what does that mean from values from a, uh, attributes, from a traits point of view what is it? Does it not mean? Have you fallen into some bad habits yourselves if you no know one's been guiding you recently? But what does the business case need from leadership now? What are the most importantly, what are the clients asking for from leadership? Because it's probably evolved. You know, there's a whole new generation of people coming up in leadership roles in the clients who will be looking for something different than the leadership generation before.
0: And do you think? I mean, already mentioned in this podcast about the shape of the design industry. 90% of design businesses have less than 10 people in them. Can you, are you ever too small to think about your leadership structure? If I'm a six-man band, no, six-woman a- band.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, never, because somebody has to lead. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, the business is going nowhere. And even if that's leading to sustain something, mm. you know, you're not, I'm not saying everybody has to lead to uh, world domination or to being bought up by a competitor or whatever. But leadership is a thing that makes a company distinctive. You know, and if you want to attract talent, if you want to attract great people in and retain them, they've got to get behind the purpose, haven't they? Yeah. So whether you're, one, woman, I, I work on my own, but I have to look at my leadership of myself. Yes. Leadership of my, client, of my client relationships, leadership of how I'm evolving my own brand presence out there in the market. You know, somebody has to do it. Yeah. And so even if you're a one person, woman, man, band, up to a global band, uh, business, you have to know what leadership means for you at that point in where your business is at.
0: Yeah. Because
1: also what was great leadership through a certain trajectory for business will not necessarily be the right leadership model as it grows and evolves. And that's where a lot of businesses become unstuck. Yeah. And that's actually, if I'm going to be a bit stereotypical, where I think female yeah. leadership is very well equipped to tune in quicker and better, more accurately, than perhaps sometimes male leadership does. Mm. I know I'm generalising, but women do tend to score higher on EQ. Mm. You know, there's a lot of data out there that does support that. Yeah. I think men are getting better. Yeah, they are. That's fantastic. As women need to get better at certain things, men are also evolving, getting better at certain things. Yeah. But if you're having to look at what leadership means to, for your business, then... Sometimes having that female perspective, which may be more EQ-tuned attu- in, yeah. maybe reading signals that um, a male leadership trait doesn't as instinctively pick up on, yeah. and I'm making sweeping generalisations, but from my time recruiting, I've seen quite a lot of this play out, to be true. Yeah. Then having that senior female perspective, reading differently, because there's something I talk about, Natalie, that I think gets forgotten in all of the intellectualization of gender is that at the end of the day, we are distinctly different. And women are women and men are men. And there are amazing strengths and opportunities by embracing our fundamental differences mm. from a biological, instinctive DNA point of view and finding out how we can make those work better together. Mm. Rather than thinking, well, a woman has to become more like a man yeah. to be more successful. Oh, but a modern man, male leader has to be more like a woman. To be more successful. Yeah. It's like, well, no, let's just look at what are the traits in your leadership team, male and female, that bringing them all up together makes you a much more competitive and effective team versus if you just have one or the other. But sadly, because the numbers are where they're at, yeah. we don't have the luxury of comparing many all-female leadership teams to all-male-dominated ones. No. But that will hopefully change.
0: I'd like to see that. So if you're in a leadership position, and we'll talk about in a minute about what the individual who might be outside of that leadership sphere at the moment and is looking into it and thinking, how do I get there? What advice do we have for them? But if you're in a leadership position hearing that and looking around you and thinking, I do not have enough female leaders in my business, what what does a business do about that?
1: I think first acknowledge it. Yeah. Because if you if you see something you want to change, part of changing is actually admitting that you want to change it. And with that comes a commitment to investing in it, to not just giving it lip service. And there's no point doing it half-cocked. So if you see that, congratulations for being a future-focused business. Mm. Congratulations for taking the first step towards being more competitive and more effective with all relationships you're trying to build internally and externally. It will only serve you better. So there's a rallying cry to do it in the first place. But when you have seen it, then acknowledge it and make a plan to address it. So look at what support you can get, as in your great initiative, other initiatives going out there. What are going? What is going out there to build female talent? Look at the succession planning you've got already. Yeah. You will have amazing female talent in your business. Mm. You may have lost female talent that may now want to come back. Mm. Look at your alumni. You know, start from what you know. Most creative businesses, because they're always future focused, they're very often coming from a fear place that the revenue is going to dry up. They don't stop to know what they know already. Yeah. Straight out to market, need your money Change,
0: change, 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 change.
1: Yeah. Oh, I don't have a female leader. I'll go and buy an expensive one. No crikey, they're a bit different. They didn't work out. I won't do that again. Be brave to pause. Look at what you've got and plan for success. And then if you're thinking, okay, we don't have the succession planning in our team at the moment, go to market in a very effective way. Identify the profile you want, map where it's going to come from. Bring in, if necessary, a fantastic recruitment partner because there are those ones out there. They're rare, but there are a few out there. Mm. Or bring in an external consultant who can just guide you through the process so you can do it yourself. Because the more informed you get about what you want and what this person or people need to be in your future leadership team or current leadership team, the more likely you are to find them. But the problem is that a lot of agencies aren't even stopping to think, well, what is it we actually need?
0: I think then, we've talked about this before, even when you find fantastic talent, how are you onboarding them and then setting them up for success within your agency? Because I've seen executive positions turn over and turn over and turn over. Um, and I don't think that's helping the numbers of women in leadership roles within our industry. Why Why does that happen
1: so frequently? <laughs> a, a lack of um, awareness, I think. And there's an interesting trait in, particularly, I will again be very stereotypical, but Having worked with different nationalities of businesses, I I often see British companies making a very senior investment. They almost cross their arms, they want to be proved right, as to why that person is worth the money they've just spent. They Mm -hmm. almost resent it. And it's like, well, come in and prove to me why you are the person we think you are. Mm -hmm. Whereas I work with some, um, not politically correct, but socially European, and they're all in Europe still for the moment, but European businesses, where they have trusted their decision and lent into it and said, we just... Trust our belief that you're right, and we're now going to invest in supporting you to adjust. Yeah. So onboarding often fails because clients don't trust their decision in the first place. Yeah. And then what they do, and I've been quite vocal on this recently, is they just assume, because I'm paying, as in I'm a client, I'm paying a senior person a lot of money to be senior and to solve problems and to take stress away, I'm going to watch how well they cope with that. Because that's why I've bought them in the mm-hmm. first place. And if you compound that by saying, and I bought myself the token female, yeah. um, so let her, let her show how the boys' club needs to be broken down, and you know, let's see how these amazing female leaders will impact on our business, because mm. um, that's why we've spent a lot of money on you, that's just setting up for failure. Mm. Because people assume when you tip over, I normally say around 120K, maybe 90 as a base mark, you are then expected, almost by osmosis, to know what you're meant to do when you go into a new role. Mm. Because you are that amazing thing called senior. Yeah. (laughs) And you're expensive. So as a result, prove to us why you're worth the money. Because unfortunately, design and brand businesses are still extremely cost-led, as opposed to being investment-driven. So they will see senior hires as a cost until the value has been proved. The reverse is see it as a value from day one, Mm. put onboarding in, find out what the milestones are, communicate effectively, give emotional support to men and women making change, because no matter how senior you are, change remains quite scary at some level. And set up for success by being professional about how you bring new talent into your business. And if that's bringing in a new, diverse talent, be it gender, be it background, be it ethnicity, sexual orientation, whatever we're talking about diversity, Um, being under obviously gender for this podcast but commit to what that looks like and support it yeah and and don't don't suddenly reject it because it's different (laughs) yeah which is normally what I I would say nine nine out of ten diverse hires on whatever basis diversity is being um, qualified fails because people think they want change and don't actually
0: that's really interesting and just harking back to previous conversation about there not being enough women there have not been enough women candidates for leadership positions because of the baby factor. We've talked a lot at Cone the Gap about the reasons why it's so difficult for women to come back to work once they've had a family. Because of the nature of our businesses, the hours that we work, studio hours. That just gets harder and harder as you go up into leadership positions. I mean, that's, that's purely returning at all at any level. Mm. It's hard to do. But to return to a leadership role or return and push for a leadership role whilst having a family, I feel like our, our working model is fundamentally defunct and doesn't support yes. that diversity at
1: all. No, it doesn't. And I wrote a piece um, recently on some of my blogs about, actually, the, the issue doesn't lie solely with agencies it lies with the relationship agencies are having with clients because until we get across get get over the i would say more 80s 90s oh a client is king you know it's actually part of the thrill of being in advertising or branding or design or whatever the um, industry is that you're in servitude to your clients mm. and that you must work till whatever deadline on a Friday night because that's all what we were here to do and that's what makes it exciting mm. that's an out-of-date model The new generation of talent coming through does not subscribe to that. So fundamentally, until there's more equality and genuine partner-led relationships between agencies and clients, then a lot of the challenges that we're talking about today and that we're seeing will remain intact because the root cause is not being addressed. So I think when an agency gets the confidence to go much more on a peer-to-peer relationship with clients and say, look, this is the value we're adding to you, that this is the way the relationship will give better results to you and better results to us, and let's change the whole client, even the word client, perhaps it's a bit outdated now, because those days are not the future.
0: No.
1: Because if we look at what all the talent um, information, all the salmon scenic, out there there, all that lovely stuff, whether you agree with it or not, the new generation is not tolerating what the old generation did. So let's address the root cause, which I think is around the relationship, agencies have with clients and once we get that on a more equal and modern footing we can then start wrapping that into how the actual roles and responsibilities and the essence of agencies operate.
0: We've explored that the Curling the Gap as a subject about the client is always king
1: or queen
0: <laughs> quite right um, and the influence that they have negatively but also the influence they can have positively. Because if they start demanding greater diversity in their support teams and the people that they work with, sure, it's shit. We're going to respond as an industry and make sure that they get it. So there's education on both sides. So there's revolution that needs to happen. I think in that entire dynamic, I'm completely with you in that. Yes. Thinking about then, so that's, that's, that's leaders and the state of our industry in total and our relationship with clients. What if you're an individual and you're listening to this podcast and you're five years into your career and mm-hmm. you're thinking, how am I going to get there? What do I need to do now? What do I need to be thinking about?
1: Okay. So there's something that I am very passionate about, which I think really addresses that question, but can also be applied to the more senior leaders out there. But it's a habit to learn younger in your career. The sooner you embrace this habit, then the more effective it can work for you. So... I talk a lot about understanding the difference between your personal identity and your professional identity. We are not taught anywhere in education uh, or life how to manage a career. In the old days, again I'll use that phrase, in the old days you didn't need to manage a career because it was quite mapped out for you. When I was doing recruitment 15 years ago, if you saw the CVs that you saw now, you would not even interview them because they would have what we would say too much movement yes. for the client. Yes. Jumpy, haven't stuck at it in, too flighty, wouldn't be a good investment. Clients are going to like that, they want much more longevity. That is not the case anymore. So people have to learn how to manage a career because it isn't mapped out, it isn't predictable, and you can't just follow the crowd.
0: There's no formula anymore, no, is there? No, there
1: is no formula. So a way that I think works very well is that you understand, okay, what's your professional identity? If you're wanting to grow leadership skills, make that something that's tangible and real. Mm. Create a vision board, or all words or sounds, whatever you are, if it's a life visual, um, that represent great leadership to you. And actually commit to it and say, okay, am I living that? Am I embodying that? Am I um, really taking ownership for my own development? There's a great swell out there around how employers it's their duty to develop talent. Mm-hmm. And if you don't develop me, well, god damn it, I'll go somewhere that will. No. You have every opportunity as a growing talent to take ownership for your own development. And if you start to understand, okay, my personal identity is this, my professional identity is that, when you're at work, you don't have, some, have as much clutter going on in your head. Mm-hmm. You don't have beliefs that you formed at school, perhaps, or through your parents that are influencing how you show up at work. You've got the opportunity to build a profile and a way of conducting at work that is fit for purpose Mm. and not based on lots of confused messages. Mm. And looking around you, if you're thinking, right, I'm now five years into my career, I want to be CSD, I want to be CSA, I want to be CEO, then look for role models. And actually start thinking, well, what is it about their leadership that makes me want to follow them? And start to make it real. Well, it's because they display this value. They are a communicator in this way. Not, and it's not one, one size fits all. You know, it's, Everyone's different. And then start so thinking, well, in my own behavior, how can I start to develop those strengths and skills? How can I recruit in people who will teach me this in my career? In this day and age te- of technology, which forums can I join? Which groups can I become part of that will allow me access to mentoring and growth? Because we have such a lot of choice now, which is part of the problem, I guess, of how we can start to grow our own career portfolio, our own career identity. And then it's about understanding how you communicate your career story. When I was in recruitment, especially women are, are not as good at this as a rule. In sharing the story that's got you where you are will take you where you want to go. A lot of people talk from past experience in a very functional way. Because they don't understand the value their professional identity can bring to an employer or the way to share it in an impactful, informing style. It's often, well, I started here and I worked there and I did that. And someone's like, well, I'm bored. It's old news. Why is that relevant to me? So if you're an aspiring leader out there, take the opportunity to think, what's my career story? And what does the person who's listening around development and growth, be it where I work now or where where I want to work, what's relevant to them? And just start to become more educated around what information will give you access to growth at work. Which people will be your champions and your um, sponsors. Find a way to enrol them to support you. Take Mm -hmm. ownership for it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Understand your professional and personal identity and how those two things work together. Craft a vision or a mood board or whatever your uh, preferred way is of what great leadership looks like to you. And commit to, to growing it. Commit to being it, commit to developing it.
0: I have talked in the last podcast, which was specifically about mentoring, about how many women I have to convince that they are at the stage in their career, where they're now mentors. And this crippling challenge a lot of people, men and women, have in acknowledging and recognising their achievements and, and boasting about them or articulating them and actually framing them in a way that they're saying, I'm proud of this thing, I did it on my own and having ownership of it and not saying, oh, I was really lucky yeah. or such and yeah. such. I worked in collaboration with them and diminishing all of their achievements. So I think the ability to see clearly your career story is mm-hmm. hampered by your ability to actually acknowledge your own achievements
1: at well, times. There's a reason I've seen for that play out over the thousands of interviews I've done in my career. I'll give you an example of It's a man, actually, where he was a CEO in a very, very well-known FMCG business. And I asked him to tell me his career story. I used to give people no one. i say, just talk to about your career story. He honestly spent about 15 minutes telling me his father wanted him to be a doctor, how many letters he had to send out to the um, industry before he got accepted into, let's say, um, BBH or whoever it was. He actually came from advertising background. And he grew into brand. But his career story, his self-perception was actually to go back to when he was a graduate. Mm. and I used to find the more senior people get the more when they share their story they talk about the emotional recollection they have at the beginning of their career because when you start to form that knowledge it's new and it's fresh and it's massive Mm. and when you talk about your career again you go back to old memories that pop out and go hey I'm really big because when you put me in the box I was massive and what happens when people share their stories is they normally go back to what's very safe and old
0: Mm.
1: and talk about that Rather than thinking, well, what am I now? Yeah. And even when you join, so it's not about just changing jobs. When you're in a company, when you join a company as an MD, when you join, 18 months later, you are not the same MD. No. You have grown, you have learned, you have evolved. However, often people don't actually accept they've changed. And therefore, the identity that they're still portraying is the one that they brought into the business, not the one they've become in the business.
0: And that must be true of graduates
1: oh yeah, yeah that, yeah. that
0: the, the the monkey on your back yeah. of who you were and telling that story
1: because it's easier because
0: yeah. when you store those you memories they're bigger
1: there's not there's endless space in your brain because they're the first yeah, and then when you go back it's just like you haven't had training or um, guidance on how to reposition those memories so therefore sharing your career story is itchy and sticky and oh how do I do this because I'm have to have a few really bad interviews before I realize oh okay the muscle's working now yeah but that's also for promotion internally if you're going for an appraisal and especially if your natural tendency as a female might be to be uh, am I good enough because yeah. all, all the stats is not as being stereotypical but all the statistics show that women will tend to undersell and men will oversell. Yeah. yeah but if you're going back to an identity that's from the past that isn't even true anymore, then you're doubly setting yourself up for challenge. Whereas if you can access, okay, well, actually, what have I learned in this role? Who am I now in March 2017 that I wasn't in November 2016? Yes. But because we live in a very fast-moving environment, it's always about the future. Often people are skating on thin ice so they don't actually catch up with themselves, and especially so for women because their natural tendency is to look at what they can't do as opposed to what they can do in a professional context.
0: That's fascinating and making me think about my narrative and the last time, because I'm asked all the time what my career and how do you become an MD and how did I get here and challenges for women and I'm trying to think about how far back I go. Fortunately, I don't think I go all the way back to graduation.
1: But there will be certain parts of your story that you will naturally go to yes. that served you at a certain part in your career yes. that may not be the ones now. Yeah. So if you look at turning over a, a sand timer... When someone's listening to you, whether it be internal promotion, a client relationship or changing job, you have a certain amount of time to capture their imagination Mm -hmm. and to give them the information they're looking for. Most people, including me, because I can teach this stuff, but doing it is harder, (laughs) you'll go back to old memories that are more comfortable and the sand will be running. And
0: they'll be more practiced, right. won't they? Because they're the ones you've told yeah, time, exactly. time and, they're, and time again. Exactly, and
1: they're easy. So the brain goes, oh, great, easy ones, shut those out. That's what we do. Um, but actually, what you want to do is think, I don't need that mm. filler. Mm. I want to go straight to the last few grains that drop out, because they're actually the killer ones. But by the time the last few grains of sand drop out, the person's lost the will to live. You've left them in 1990, or wherever it might be. Yeah. Or in the last project you did, which actually doesn't showcase what that person needs to know about you just because you haven't had the space or time or instruction on how to reform your thinking. So especially as a female leader. So if you are coming up against prejudice out there, which we all have unconscious bias, there's a fascinating piece that Cindy Gallup highlighted recently about the man and woman who swapped sign-offs. Yeah, in a that
0: was amazing. This uh, this woman was being criticised internally because she wasn't making enough progress with her clients. And, uh, and her immediate manager was... Defending her and saying, no, she's brilliant. I don't understand where that criticism is coming from. And they switched email sign-offs for a week. And he wrote as her. And he had nothing but um, pushback, yes. criticism, undermining. And every email she sent through was immediately thanked and supported and encouraged. He was like, if I hadn't seen with my sign-offs, I couldn't believe that was happening. So look that up as an example. It's, it's brilliant.
1: Exactly. So it shows even more so you have to be control of what messages you're telling yourself yeah and so if you're an established leader an aspiring leader it doesn't actually matter it applies equally that if you're looking to grow your leadership skills you're looking to get a much more senior impactful role in the industry The messages you're telling yourself the story that you're choosing to share with the industry the more you can be authentic and committed and real about that Mm. and the more strategic you can be in how you choose to share it the more impact you're going to have in the right way
0: And that applies even if you're in the second year of your first job.
1: Totally. It's just about raising consciousness. And this is one thing that does drive me to distraction. Nobody teaches this. I used to teach this all the time in the work I've done in recruitment. And now I specialize in just teaching it without doing the recruitment piece. Because the transformation I see between people who come to me unsure about their purpose, unsure about their story, unsure about actually what they want. I see that in women more than men. By just giving people some... Tools and techniques and frameworks to manage information, manage thinking, and get the internal conversation healthy, then the external representation just goes off the scale. And then people become, back to my point of what my purpose is, is to be fulfilled and happy at work and effective. Mm. When you're telling yourself the right message for the right reasons, then you're much more likely to achieve that.
0: So if you're an individual listening to this, thinking about your career trajectory, think about your career story.
1: And think about your professional and personal identity. Yeah. Don't hold on to an identity that's massively out of date. Look to enrol supporters, role models that can actively be helping you get the skills and knowledge that you need. Yeah. And most importantly, take accountability. Because if you don't do it for yourself, how can you expect someone else to do it for you?
0: And if you're running a business and you're in a leadership role and you're thinking about your leadership uh, dynamics, what should that person do today?
1: That person should get clear on where their business is going, get clear on the purpose and the differentiation that business stands for mm. in the market, get clear on therefore the leadership, the diversity, mm. the uh, team dynamic that will make that come to fruition and be re- a real piece.
0: Mm.
1: Look at the talent you have already, invest in developing leadership skills, recruit wisely, mm. on board with kindness. Yeah. And commit to your people. Easy. I could have that done by (laughs) lunchtime. In case you
0: are fervently writing all that down, um, Sally, I'm sure would be delighted to just pinpoint some of those key points for us, because I think it's really powerful that people have tools... They can share with them yeah. their businesses and they've got, you know, that learning that you're, you're Well, this is what about. I do
1: for a living. Yeah. You know, so I do it every day with clients. I do it every day with aspiring individuals. And it's, it's so rewarding. So the message I want to get out to people is that it's about taking the first step. Yeah. And it's about committing to being the leader you want to be at work, mm-hmm. committing to creating the business you truly want to create in the world, and then investing in making that real. And my biggest bugbear with the design and branding industry is it's so investment-averse. And I have a saying that creative industry, creative businesses, are very good at losing money in an established way. It's mental. They will hire ineffectively. They will throw money at bad recruiters who, quite frankly, do not deserve the fee Mm. for being a glorified LinkedIn CV shifter. Mm. But if I go to them and say, well, invest in your leadership, invest in onboarding do a talent diagnostic oh Sally, I don't know if I've got the money no but you'll pay X grand on average talent that isn't even going to enhance your business because that's what you're used to doing you'll pay X grand to a recruiter who's added no value to you Mm. because they happened to meet somebody before somebody else did Mm. and that's just established bad practice Mm. if a creative business wants to get the best out of talent to have diverse leaders to have really Powerful role models, male and female, it starts from a place of investing, and it saves hundreds of thousands of pounds.
0: And I think that's not just investing in financially, I hear that really strongly Investing money is really important, investing time
1: mm-hmm. and an
0: energy and, and yes. committing. Yeah. To, to these issues is, is also the broader investment.
1: But you know what, Natalie? If people, and when people make that commitment, the time they save as a result massively outweighs the time they invest. Absolutely. It's just a change of mindset. Yeah. Back to my expression of bravery to pause because I have seen it in my recruitment career before. Clients spend tens of hours, you know, weeks, months recruiting for a role, invest in that person, spend hours onboarding them, For it all to go, Pete Tong, because they didn't spend the five hours up front planning. Because, again, it's bad habits. It's, well, this is how we work. This is what we're used to. But actually, do you know what? In today's market, that is not sustainable. No. Unless clients get in control of talent, bring on female leaders, bring on diversity, have the right blend of leadership role models out there, then I categorically will say to any design agency listening – you will not stay competitive, you will lose talent to agencies that are in different fields, let's not even talk about management consultancies, that's a whole other issue, Um, you will not be relevant. That's a
0: really good point, because we talk about diversity and gender equality certainly being a humanitarian issue, as well as a commercial advantage, but actually turning that on its head and saying, look, you don't get in the game with this, you're not going to get the talent that's out there, and you will start losing your competitive advantage. So Massively. diversity is, is essential for every business, Yes, regardless.
1: Yes. And it starts by committing to investing. Yeah. It starts by losing the fear factor, losing the old excuses. There were no time, Sally. Oh, we just lost a client, so we were going to do it. Yeah. We were. Yeah. But now we're not sure about the, about the pipeline. Hey, that's never going to change. Um, but what is changing is that talent has more choice. Talent yeah. is not easy to spot. No one knows what great looks like anymore because what was great last year is not necessarily great in two years' time. And you need more diverse leaders in your business. Otherwise, you will not be attractive, you will not be relevant, and you won't be commercially successful.
0: And with a whole agency full of individuals currently working out their career story, you better find leadership (laughs) and
1: development programs for
0: them because if you don't, somebody will. Or they'll
1: go and set up on their own. Yeah. You know, I was at Adweek today and... There was a lot of um, sort of the younger generation coming through, as a nearly 43-year-old, that's where I come from saying younger, all talking about if, if you can't find it, do it. That is the mentality out there. So the sooner the design industry stops holding on to the craft positioning and some of the outdated ways that used to be superbly effective, you know, they used to be amazing, but they're not amazing now. What is amazing now is committing to your talent getting the right diversity of leadership into your business, being connected to what's relevant. Mm -hmm. Because, again, clients make me laugh and cry when they say, we are nothing without our people, Sally. Our people are our biggest asset. Well, what are you doing to actually walk the walk on that? Where is your commitment to more female talent? Where is your commitment to diversity? Where is your commitment to retention? And where is your commitment to recruiting wisely?
0: I cannot think of a better point to end on. We're going to do a synopsis of that so that you can download it and share it around your businesses and share it to people you think will be interesting, and that will be alongside the podcast on our website. Sally, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.